I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From Decrypt.co, this is the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Aaron. Today, centralized exchanges or decentralized exchanges. Now we know the ethos, the backbone of crypto is decentralized. But does it really work better with exchanges? Or do they have two different paths for their futures? I sit down with CEO and co-founder of LGO Group, Hugo Rinaldin, to talk the future of both exchanges. Enjoy this conversation. I'll see you after the show. Hugo Rinaldin, CEO of LGO. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks for having me, Matt. All right. So look, this is one of these hot topics, you know, centralized exchanges versus decentralized exchanges. Now, we've always had that discussion. We've always been talking about this, but things have went to a different level this year because decentralized exchanges or the DEX has been recording massive volumes and they're doing a job that centralized exchanges haven't been able to do before. I want to know and talk about the evolution of these two exchanges in the future. But before we get into that, can we please define what is a centralized exchange and what is a decentralized exchange? Yeah, for sure. So a centralized exchange is pretty much like a market. So if you want to buy a tomato or if you want to sell a tomato, you need a centralized venue where you can do so and and meet supply and demand. So that's exactly the same thing, but for financial assets or crypto assets. Uh, A centralized exchange is a place where anyone can go and buy and sell uh, cryptocurrencies uh, against fiat currency or against another cryptocurrency. Um, they're called centralized for a few different reasons because people go there, but also because they're managed by uh, an actual entity, which is a company or, or a group of person or just one person. So that's that's a centralized exchange. And you know that you have widely successful ex- examples of centralized exchanges in this space like Binance, Coinbase, Kraken, uh, those big names, and, and, and they're doing very well. Um, on the other hand, decentralized exchanges, well, they basically serve the same purpose which is to allow a user to, to buy or sell an asset against another one. But the difference is that there's no centralized entity that manage, manages that. There's a smart contract. So it can run independently on the blockchain and it can be accessed by anyone, anytime, from anywhere, pretty much. Going into the innovation circle, look, centralized exchanges and decentralized exchanges, we know pretty much what they are, how they work for the, for the most part. But now we have to understand like where they're going. Look, centralized exchanges, they're talking about being banks. We're talking about phones with apps. We're talking about uh, being able to pay and, and deposit, withdraw with centralized exchanges. Where Kraken has just moved into the United States as in the state of Wyoming as a sort of new kind of bank. We have FDIC insurance for Gemini and, and Coinbase. They are taking a major leap to be more, let's say, consumer friendly. Then there's the DEX. That is kind of just catching up when we're talking about liquidity, um, make, ma- matchmaking. And this is very specialized because you're talking about investing, you're talking about trading, you're talking about trading digital assets. Well, only a small percentage of people know what they are. And two, it is already a niche commodity to be trading um, opposed to, say, traditional stocks and using your Robinhood app. 
where are these two exchanges on ramps or tools for the average person to get into digital currencies or digital assets or virtual currency trading um, and investing? Where are they heading? I think what's likely to happen is that centralized uh, exchanges will use the technology of decentralized exchanges. Because you're right, to your point, you always need like tools to, to uh, on ramps, you know, like tools to bring cash from the fiat centralized world into the, the blockchain ecosystem. So you need those gatekeepers. And, and, and today, I think that exchanges are going to be, you know, like uh, you mentioned Kraken, are going to be the ones that are going to be the main gatekeepers of the, the decentralized world in the sense that they have the connections to the real world fiat money. The way this market is built, it's built for retail people. And so being a bank, being um, an on-ramp provider makes sense for those exchanges. Um, so, so definitely they're, they're not going to go away because their, their function as an on-ramp is an essential one for the ecosystem. Now, when, when you look at decentralized exchanges, um, first, the, the technology is completely open source. It's smart contracts. Anybody can audit the code. So that means that anybody can um, uh, replicate this code and uh, run it as a different version. And we've seen that with SushiSwap. I don't know if you remember that this summer, but it was basically a fork of Uniswap that managed to bring quite a lot of liquidity uh, to their protocol. So what I think will happen is that those gatekeepers, th those uh, uh, on-ramp providers, well, they're going to implement some some smart contracts, some code, which is going to look very much like a decentralized exchange. And, and for a few different reasons, you know, like just taking taking our example, LGO. So obviously, we're not a retail, we're not a retail exchange. We're an institutional focused exchange. But still, we see some uh, behaviors from our traders that could be a bit better if you added some some kind of decentralization and some kind of AMM uh, automated market maker to that. So our clients they trade all day long. But they have some capital, Bitcoin and dollars, that stay in their account that, that is not used for trading. And for them, it's idle capital, of course, because they're not making money on this capital, which is just sitting with us. Um, so if we were to implement an automated market maker that supports the liquidity on our centralized exchange, well, actually, we could A, have more liquidity on our exchange as a whole, and B, all of our clients could be able to not only trade in a very sophisticated fashion on our centralized exchange, but also earn some yield and, and earn passive income on, on their on the capital that they're not using for training. And so just looking at that, you know, you, you solve you solve problem and you have a better iteration of what's what's next. So to, to sum this up, I think that you need centralized version of exchanges. That's that's for sure. You cannot have a future which is completely decentralized, at least not in the next few years, just because uh, you need gatekeepers from the from the traditional fiat world to the, the crypto world. So you, you need these guys. And, and these guys um, I think the way that they're going to to evolve is that they're going to take what works well in the decentralized uh, in the decentralized world and adapt it to their own infrastructure, and that's going to be very powerful. I, I can see a hybrid system of centralized and decentralized, and when it comes to liquidity and stuff. But then, we, we're, when with what you just said, it sounds as though we're still playing insider baseball. We're still talking about only catering to a choice or a select few of um, individuals that want to dabble or trade or risk investing in digital assets, virtual currencies. I guess my broader question is, what happens to centralized exchanges and decentralized exchanges when we try to go for the average consumer or the mom and pop or the, the, the masses? Because yes, we need liquidity. Yes, we need all that stuff. But you know, I think that more people care if they have digital currencies or Bitcoin, but that also can be used as their bank account, as their Visa card, as their Amazon paying account, as their 
you know, maybe Coinbase is using being used as my JP Morgan. That that is, I guess, where I'm seeing cha- uh, the centralized exchanges going. Going, and it's not as insider baseball. Do you see that decentralized exchanges have a, a way to even compete with the possibilities of a centralized exchange, and and, and without just being insider crypto Twitter baseball? I, I'm not sure that they have to, quite frankly. So if you look at uh... Let's let's take an example in the traditional world, right? So a, a lot of people in the U.S. they're using Robinhood uh, to to buy and sell stocks, even options. Well, when you interact with Robinhood, you're not interacting with Nasdaq, you're not interacting with the New York Stock Exchange, right? You're interacting with a broker which uh, itself interacts with other brokers, which in the end interact with centralized exchange. So I think this kind of sandwich of different different providers and different businesses working together is exactly what's going to happen in the crypto slash decentralized world. The mass and, 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 you know, like John Doe doesn't have to know about uh, how decentralized exchange works and how, or even how a centralized exchange works. They, they just need to, to your point, you know, be able to store that Bitcoin, to be able to trans- transact with it, to pay with it, to uh, trade if they want to, but they, they, they're, they're not going to see the, the, the complexity that, that, that is behind. And, and that's the case for, for any asset class. You always have businesses that are here to, Make the interface between the average um, the average consumer and the more the more complex traders. So I, I think that's definitely where we're where we're headed for for this uh, for this industry. We talked about a lot of positives. We talked about a lot of evolution. We talked about uh, what the bare what the bare bone basics of each exchange is. But what about the drawbacks? I mean, we saw decentralized exchange hacks many times already because of smart contract uh, flaws um, in the design, not being audited horrible code. Uh, we saw centralized exchanges because of security, uh, insider security, you know, just social hacking their employees of, of a certain exchange. You know, so there's definitely cons from both of them. How do you reconcile the massive vulnerabilities between both of them and a rollout into something that's more mainstream? Well, th- that's a tough question because the... Um... The drawbacks that you mentioned, you know, like the fact that it's that you're reliant on a on a on a line of code that if you you know if you lose your assets, your crypto assets, that you cannot retrieve them. You know that there's no like centralizing centralized entity that you can go to and ask for for a voucher or something like that. Well, th- that's that's the value of crypto, right? It's the fact that it's uh, autonomous, it's decentralized, it's uh, non-censorable. You cannot roll it back. So th- that's that's precisely why crypto is crypto, and that's why crypto is. Uh, is being adopted, so that, that's you know that's a, a, a tough point to to make. But that being said, you know I think that these security flows and 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 these problems they can be solved by a knowledge and experience by developers, uh, by operators of these exchanges. I mean you know like the Mount Gox the Mount Gox hack, sorry that we that we had a couple of years ago. That's definitely not going to happen. I mean, not in the same way in a centralized exchange today, because people learn from the the, the mistakes of Mount Gox and we adapt from that. Uh, same thing, you know, like the smart contract hacks. The, the more we have hacks of smart contracts or errors or flows in the code, the better we become uh, as an industry, uh, you know, in in building those decentralized products. So, time and experience and and more developers is one answer. Um, a second answer is to have more resilient technology. So you know, like there's we we talk a lot about DeFi on on Ethereum, but there's this other blockchain which is called Tezos, which and there's a lot of other blockchains as well. But like this blockchain in particular, uh, one of their specificity is that their code is much more secure because they have what's called formal proof, which allows anyone any developer 
to formally mathematically verify that their code is correct. And so that's an incredible level of security that you can have at the protocol level uh, with the technology. So I think the answer to, to, to those problems of, of security of hacks, first, it's the, the other side of, of the coin, what's positive about cryptocurrencies, which is total economic freedom. And second, it's something that, that can be solved by technology and I think by technology only. It sounds as though that you're talking about two different camps of people. This is what I'm looking at. This is how I'm interpreting things right now because no mainstream solution is going to allow for me losing my crypto. Well, nobody's ever hacked into my JP Morgan. These things never happen to me. And if they do, there's an easy solution. And I understand the ethos of crypto. I understand the ideas that everybody you know clings to and the uh, amazing solutions of decentralized and all of these other nice tag words. But it sounds as though you're, exp you're explaining something that isn't going to be palatable for everybody. So therefore, even if you are able to use your Coinbase app or your Robinhood app and buy things on Amazon or or link it to your um, direct deposits for your your company or your your paychecks. You're going to have two different people, two people, one pe people that's going to do the traditional finance system and use their Visa cards and their JP Morgans and everything's hunky dory, and the other ones that are kind of like going and and dealing with the possibilities of these failure points, these these pressure points, these 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 points of possible hacks with no recourse because they like this industry or like this solution. Is that what I'm getting at? Yeah, but I think nothing is, um, it's, it's a problem that, that first has always existed and, and second that we can solve. So I don't know if you watch uh, Western movies, but you know, like uh, if you watch Western, there's always like the, the bad guy essentially that is going to rob money from the bank, right? When they, when <laughs> they, when they do so, right? It's like the, the money is not traceable. I mean, at the time, like right now, it's not possible to do it because the system is so secure. But 200 years ago, 100 years ago, even like the, the, the you, you could get away with uh, getting cash and, and, and nobody would um, would find you. Uh, and so like the, the people that were using the bank, they were exposed to this risk. And so what solves this risk is uh, insurance, right? So if intermediaries that provide uh, crypto asset services are insured against uh, hacks, thefts, losses, well, that solves a big problem for uh, the end users because they, they can, they can safe, safely interact with crypto. They can buy, sell, they can store uh, whatever amount of crypto they want. And it's going to be protected uh, by this insurance coverage. Um, and same thing with gold, by the way. You know, like uh, if you buy gold, well, you're still subject to someone stealing it and you can insure it or not. Depending on that, you're, you're going to have a, a payout if, it's get, if it gets stolen. Well, you can have exactly the same thing with cryptocurrency. And how would that work with cryptocurrency? I mean, look, if, if the assets are gone and the funds are gone and in the hands of somebody else, I mean, look, with my credit card, you can just block my credit card. You can cancel transactions. You can notify companies. You, can you do that with crypto? I mean, what is the actual recourse for somebody stealing your bar of gold out of your basement? They just give you money. Uh, so they give you... Uh, <laughs> simple as that? Okay. Simple as that. <laughs> you pay your coverage. And, and then if, if something... Uh, that's a business of insurance, right? You pay your premium every month or every year in case there's a risk. And if the risk happens, well, you get a payout if everything, if the, if the insurance company is, uh, is, acting, uh, is acting normally. Last question. I want to say thank you very much for going through all of my skepticism as you know, <laughs> a lot of people that come on my show always do. They have to deal with that. Uh, my last question is, what does the future look like? I mean, we've been talking a lot about the evolution. We've been talking about you know, all these different bells and whistles or ideas that you know, could be added or, or are being added to centralized and decentralized exchanges. But let's just kick it, the ball down the court. Let's just kick it all the way down, let's say, 10 years from now. And eh, no, that's not even long enough. Let's, let's talk about 25 years from now. 25 years from now, how will I, my kids, maybe my grandkids, be interacting with a crypto virtual currency 
decentralized or centralized or hybrid exchange? There's two things here. There, there's two important ideas that, that are uh, linked, but not necessarily the same. The first one is the adoption of cryptocurrency as a, as a, a mean of payment, as a store of value, like the, the general adoption of cryptocurrency with uh, the masses first. And second, the adoption of decentralized technologies in the day-to-day -day life. For number one, I think that uh, the, the, I'm in this space, so I'm obviously biased, but I think the adoption of cryptocurrencies and especially the adoption of Bitcoin to a certain extent, privacy coins like Zcash or Monero is going gonna, is gonna to increase um, is going to increase a lot in the in the years to come, because we have uh, monetary policies that are very inflationary versus cryptocurrencies that are non-inflationary with a fixed supply. Because we have uh, more and more skepticism with governments, which tends to make people uh, buy cryptocurrencies that do not depend on the government. So I, I think the adoption of cryptocurrency on the one hand, is uh, something that is going to grow in the next few years. And I wouldn't be surprised if in 25 years from now, you even have countries or communities that work only around uh, cryptocurrency as, a, as their, the, the currency of their system. So that's, that's number one. Um, number two, the adoption of decentralized technologies. Well, I, I'm not sure that as a, as, a, as a regular user that doesn't know so much about the complexities of blockchain and, and, and smart contracts and all that, I'm not even sure that you'll, you'll be able to see that. What you'll be able to see is the conclusion of that. You'll be able to pay your bills uh, as you consume electricity, right? In real time through a smart contract. You'll be able to place bets on the internet uh, that do not depend on a, on, a, on a broker that can go away with your money. You're going to be able to get paid by the hour exactly after the hour you work. And so this, um, let's say this digitalization of money on the back end, you know, it's going to be very complex. It's going to be... It's going to be uh, made of different uh, different smart contracts, different technologies. But on the on the front end, if you will, on the on the on the user from a user experience perspective, it's going to be very very seamless, and it's actually going to be like uh, internet for the information. It's going to be more um, easier to 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 exchange money. It's going to be easier to transact with uh, other people, to transact with businesses, to to get paid and things like that. So I, I think that's really how how people will see it in twenty five years from now. Not, they're, they're not going to talk about Ethereum or Tezos or the Bitcoin blockchain or uh, how to code a smart contract. But the same way when you use uh, Uber, you're not, a, you're not asking yourself what's the protocol behind the, their database or, or how they build their app, right? You're just looking at, at what it does. And I think that's, that's definitely how we're going to interact with, uh, with uh, centralized and decentralized exchanges in 25 years from now. Right on. Hugo, thank you very much for coming on the show, talking exchanges with me, and again, putting up with my cynicism. Have a great day, sir. Thank you, Matt. Have a good day as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. On tomorrow's show, we have one of crypto's rising stars, Sam Bankman-Fried, answering a question that I really, really wanted to know. Is the volume on decentralized exchanges bullshit? I'll see you tomorrow. Happy hodling.